Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border, and welcome to our New Year's End of the Decade episodes, which is going to be a bit of a short cycle, but we're going to go a bit more philosophical on these than we normally do, because the current events in Russia and in my sphere in general, um, yeah, Stalin's series are coming to an end this year, I promise you that, but there are a bunch of issues that I've found with the current uh, stuff that's happening that I would like to talk to you about, especially about when it comes to philosophy. It all kind of needs to get explained, I suppose, because it's all about how you perceive things, and the very notion of human perception comes in, and how people translate what's being said in their own minds, and what does it mean to different people. So, just like I was told in my historiography lessons, you know, the science of studying history, there is always three aspects of uh, something happening. And they're tempus, loci, dramatis persona. For those of you who are not into Latin that much, it's the place, and the time, and the acting people. Acting people means, well conscious actors in this given spot at this given time. However, it's actually very literal in this expression. The people who act in a certain way, the people that try through their acting to influence given history. The thing is that in Perth, Australia, recently, according to the internet, there were papers posted all over signposts and, uh, well, signposts and just electricity poles and whatever. Just a single sentence was uh, on these papers, just posted there. And it said, it's okay to be white. As I see it, the original position was that some people in Perth, Australia are feeling like the white people are being oppressed and that they're feeling like bad about themselves and that, well, they post these signs everywhere saying that, hey, no, it's actually okay to be white. And that's how, well, I did my Google search and I went to the boards and that's how, well, people perceive it there as well. What they perceive much worse, however, is that the official authorities are stating that, well, this is a racist statement, this is awful, this is terrible, and we should delete every signs of it. And then they kind of reciprocate this and then they kind of spread it on the boards, like those... Uh, 
people who posted the same things, they said, look, look, it's not okay to be white, and that's what those people are saying us. Meanwhile, uh, as I'm a centrist, from the other side I can totally see this. If you post things stating that it's okay to be white, that means that, well, the people perceiving them in the authorities see those writings as, well, it's not okay to be anything else. Right? These people obviously treat those street signs, which were created with the intention of it's okay to be white, they treat it in a way that uh, those street signs might as well say it's not okay to be anything that is not white. And that is the dialectics of the question. Those are the two sides of the same coin. I mean, people in power and people in positions of administration see these street signs as stating that it's okay to be white, but it's not okay to be anything that it's not white. Meanwhile, the people posting them see them, and they obviously expected this reaction from the authorities. So what they get back from this is that, um, look here, we just posted that it's okay to be white, and now they're using this to oppress us, and apparently it's not okay to be white, it's okay to be everything else. This is a misconception, because... It's a difference in the prime messages, the prime focus of this study. I mean, the authorities in this case were clearly looking at what was, like, the intent of these messages. And even though the people posting them claimed that it is okay to be white, yeah, sure it is, and I fully agree with that, but everyone knows that, and that's not why you're posting them, are you? If you bring this one specific element in the question, then, like, no one's arguing that not being white is okay. It's just that being anything else but white is okay as well. And a lot of people, especially radicalized people, would uh, see this in a way that white is okay, anything not white is not okay. And the people posting this message, if they were intelligent enough, would have seen this as well. Now, I'm bringing all of this up because... The single thing, the posting on Perth, Australia messages stating that it's okay to be white can be interpreted in two radically different ways and there is media manipulation on both sides because that's what happened in Russia recently and that's what happened with current Russian news. That's what I would like to go with the show. It's just that you can have a single fact, like a literal fact, which is un undisputable, and then you can go multiple ways from there, and you have to have context, and you have to have previous experiences, but those just fall on the wayside, and we're quick to judge, and we're quick to make comments, but what do we learn from all this situation? Because being calm sometimes leads to disastrous results, just as being harsh or aggressive. Now, like I said, I'm going to try something different with these episodes in the late December, because I've spent a well enough time to uh, work with them. But there is an important thing that I want to talk about, and that's the most recent act of terrorism in the Russian Federation. And how does that compare to other, well, closely related to Soviet events, other acts of terrorism? It's going to be about lies. All of this is going to be about lies and true intents and everything. So, well, strap on and let's get to it. So, what happened in Russia? The unthinkable. Truly, I mean, um, just let's do this in the way how we analyze the historical situations, but in the way the unthinkable is the best way how to describe it, because a shooting had taken place in central Moscow at the Federal Security Service, FSB, building on Lubyanka. That would be the place. The time is 7.13pm local time. 
Well, previously that, because that's the time when the shooter got killed. But that's just after the yearly press statement of Mr. Vladimir Putin. Oh, by the way, thanks to Medusa for all this information. They were on the place where I couldn't be physically. So go check out medusa.io slash English. But um, what happened was that Mr. Putin was having a nice little press interview where he was totally lying about everything, including his own daughters, and just whacking dead horse with a mole whacker, whatever. And, yeah, you know, just for show, internal consumption only, and I wouldn't even pay attention to this at all, except that, yeah, a shooting happened there, in Lubyanka. The problem is that in Soviet era, no one ever could arrive even close to Lubyanka, like even three blocks away from it, because those were the KGB headquarters, which then turned to FSB, with a gun, without being arrested. It is the unthinkable. Now, uh, notice that I'm leaving the Dramatis Personae off of this, because who the shooter was is of grave importance, and I want to leave that to the later to explain it better. Basically, Medusa reported on the 19th of December that a shooting had taken place, and that an unknown individual had opened fire there using a Kalashnikov automatic rifle. Well, it later turns out it was a Saiga, and Saiga is basically a hunter's version of Automat Kalashnikov, and the fact that it doesn't shoot bullets, it shoots pellets, you know, just like shotgun, except it's fully automatic, it's kind of like Pancor Jackhammer, for all of you gun nuts out there. But yeah, Saiga is... Basically, what if you would take a Kalashnikov and cross it with a hunting rifle, a hunting smoothbore thing that shoots pellets, basically. Instead of standard 7.62mm rounds, it uses the hunting pellet rounds, like uh, 12 gauge or 20 gauge or something. You can uh, put either ones in. That was the true weapon, but that's just so that people who know a lot more about guns than I do, so that they wouldn't go on to long triads about how I got this wrong. No, that's been the side gun that's a massive difference, because uh, I don't even know why side would be used for hunting, because honestly speaking, if you just riddle your target with tons and tons of bullets, it leaves no skin untouched, and you could barely eat it without spitting lead out of your hunted animal. But yeah. Preliminary eyewitness reports indicated that one individual began shooting in the FSB reception area. Yes, he entered Lubyanka, the FSB building, in the reception square, and then started firing. Russian Times reported the shooter barricaded himself inside a nearby building while exchanging fire with officers. As of 7.13pm, Moscow time, the shooter had been killed, according to the FSB press service. Officers were working to establish his identity, and multiple journalists reported hearing what sounded like gunshots even after the shooter was dead, including the correspondent of Medusa that I've been using for this report. The Telegram channel 112 initially claimed that three people were involved in the shooting and two were killed immediately, but this is false, as while the shooter died, one FSB officer died, uh, maybe more, but we have no information on this, and at least five people were injured. Interfax has written that the FSB said only a single shooter was involved. The news agency Moskva later deleted that story. So that's a mess. There have been multiple fatalities among security employees, so the report says, but we have only one confirmed, but there are multiple others, well, plausible for this. 112 wrote that 112, by the way, is the analog of 911, like 911 in the United States. Here we call 112 for the police in the European Union. 
And the Telegram channel 112 wrote that three Federal Protective Service, FSO, which is different from FSB, because FSO is the internal security, FSB are just, well, in general. Three employees were killed, even though there were no release of the official reports of those deaths. MASH, which is also based on Telegram, reported the death of one traffic safety employee standing guard outside a building, which the FSB later confirmed. According to the Moscow News Agency, two people were injured in the shootout, and one later died of his injuries. The agency did not specify whether those two individuals were affiliated with the government agency. An FSB representative later told Ria Novosti that an FSB agent had been killed and that the health ministry reported five total injuries. And that is the number that we're going uh, for right now, is that the shooter has been liquidated and that one FSB person has been liquidated and there have been like five more injuries, but those numbers can only go up because that's the minimum. Also, it has been currently confirmed that one of those injuries sustained involved an FSB member shooting at something that he did not see, even though the original shooter had been liquidated and that one of the injuries caused in this accident, or incident, if you please, was basically the fact that this person from FSB decided to take a pot shot at the shooter himself and injured a bystander. No criminal courts have been opened yet. Why is this important? Well, that has a deep dive thing going on. First off, let's talk about the shooter, because this happened on the 19th of December, but the identity of the shooter has now been uh, cleared up a bit. Hey guys, Annette here. Glad to have you with us for a new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash theeasternborder to find out how you too can support our show. To keep up to date with all things Eastern Border, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't hesitate to send us a message with your comments and questions. That's it for now. Thank you for listening and see you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So here's what we know about the shooter himself. He was 39 years old and he was named Yevgeny Manyurkov. There is a Vkontakte account registered to a man with this name that is mostly blank except for listing his place of education as the Russian State University of Justice. Thing is that Russian media have done a bit of dirt searching for him and they say that Manyurov was trained as a lawyer and lived in Podolsk, a city south of Moscow. Basically, this dude was a person who was a member 
of Yejina Russia, United Russia, Putin's party. He was also a person who was hired to be one of the people who beat up the protests in Moscow. He was very pro-Kremlin, very aggressively ultra-right-wing nationalist. He was in the National Liberation Movement of Russia, and he was, like I said, a member of United Russia, and he was involved in the beatings of Moscow protesters, and he was sent to work with these Moscow protests, both in the role of beating up the protesters and causing provocation so that the protesters could be beaten up. He was a very pro-Putin man, so what drove this to him? Well, for one, he was 39 years old, and he was still living in his mom's basement, literally. Secondly, he was always anti-FSB for some unknown reason. This person, Manurov, had worked for private security firms before. His father told the Telegram channel 112 that his son's work included guarding the United Arab Emirates Embassy. Manurov's mother, however, told Komsomoyskaya Pravda, a communist newspaper, that her son was unemployed and had started talking to some kind of Arabs on the phone in English, which she doesn't speak. The website Baza says Manurov's mother only accidentally learned about her son losing his job. On December 19th, when he didn't return home, she called one of his former colleagues and found out then. His mother says he took an early interest in boxing and hand-to-hand -hand combat and spoke good English, but never served in the army or had a wife, children, or any close friends. Manurov apparently didn't like smoke or drink, but he'd recently been in a, quote, certain state of excitement, his mother says. When law enforcement officers arrived at the apartment of Manurov's mother to search the premises, one of the officials punched Baza reporter Anna Nikitina in the face. Nikitina reached Mrs. Manurov's home before the officers. When the authorities arrived at the apartment and found the journalists, they reportedly checked her press credentials and then handed her over to their supervisor, who apparently threatened to ruin her career in journalism before striking her. Nikitina was then held in custody for several hours before she was released without charges. Baza, the base, Later reported that one of the private security firms that employed Manurov was Vimpel Reserve, which basically means the Order in Reserve, which was co-owned until 2010 by Boris Beskov, the former head of the Vimpel, the Order, Spetsnaz unit, now known as the FSB Spetsgruppe V, or FSB Special Forces Group V. Vimpel Reserve previously founded the Vimpel Union Association of Veterans and Intelligence Officers, which was dissolved in 2015. Mr. Manurov also liked guns a lot. In November 2019, he finished third in a pistol-caliber carbine competition at the Moscow Municipal Sports and Shooting Range. According to Komsomolskaya Pravda, he also participated in another competition in October that was held in honor of Dmitry Rozumovsky, a lieutenant colonel who was killed while freeing hostages at the Bestland school siege in 2004, and we'll get back to that eventually. Manurov's mother told Baza that her son had been training in shooting ranges for three or four years and that he really, really enjoyed it. Meanwhile, Oleg Solovich, who coached Manurov at the Moscow Municipal Sports and Shooting Range, told the same newspaper that Manurov had come to him for about three months and had poor aim. Solovich says he practiced in a hooded black jacket, claiming that he was more comfortable shooting like that. Komsomolskaya Pravda also stated that Manurov was wearing his jacket when he attacked the FSB building. The authorities found an arsenal of weapons when they searched Manurov's home. 
He got all the required permits. A police source told Komsomolskaya Pravda, quote, Everything was registered officially at the place of residence. There were seven guns in all. Gas-powered, non-lethal, smoothbore and rifled. They still haven't found the gas-powered weapon, said the newspaper's source, who claims the police did recover many rounds of ammunition and two loaded magazines for an automatic weapon. RENTV reported that Minurov tried last year to sell his Bekas pump-action shotgun through an online forum for gun enthusiasts for between 7,500 and 8,500 rubles which is 120 to 135 American dollars. Sources in the Moscow Police Department told the news website RBC that Manurov attacked the FSB building with a Kalashnikov assault rifle, but again, that later proved to be false when it was found out that he actually attacked the building with the Saiga automatic shotgun. Now, even though Manurov's motives remain unclear, everything is bizarre because this is not being investigated as a terrorist attack. And secondly, well... No one knows how he got to the place of shooting because, well, you can't simply ride with an open carry gun uh, in your luggage while Moscow Metro and his car hasn't been found. Another thing, like I said, this guy was a member of United Russia, very politically organized. His life was in shambles, and this is just one hour later. Now, there are many things about this that point to a false flag attack, and I'm going to be treating this evidence seriously because... In Russia, if you see one such thing, the first thing that you dread, and the most opposition journalists dread, is not the fact that terrorists are among us, it's the fact that, oh my god, the government has did something again, now what shall be the consequences? And they have a legitimate reason to be worried, actually. Because, well, let's go through the previous incidents where Moscow had uh, committed false flag things to blame terrorists and played it in their own favor. And the list... It's pretty long, to be honest. See, first off, I'd like to start with something that President Trump said in, well, the Helsinki conference, which was pretty infamous as that was the first time when Mr. Trump met Mr. Putin. Trump indicated he was impressed with Putin's denial of Russian interference in the 2016 US election. And that's an important quote here. Quote, <clears throat> I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial. Yeah, that's the thing, because uh, lies are a central part of this study, and this answer clearly must have pleased Mr. Vladimir Putin. See, strength and pure power have been key to Putin's political brand ever since August 1999, when he was appointed as Russia's Prime Minister by then-President Boris Yeltsin. Putin led the country to victory in the Second Chechen War, and as the virtual incumbent following Gilton's resignation, he rode that wave of patriotism to victory in the presidential election of March 2000, with 53% of the national vote. Nineteen years later, following a brief hiatus from 2008-2012, during which he served as Prime Minister, Putin still is one. I will remind you that he won 77% in the fake elections, so-called elections, in May 2018, even though I made an episode about these and the Razin bombings a while ago, because that was anything but an election. But so far, at this moment, Putin makes strongman politics look effortless, and President Trump could not be clearer in his expressions of admiration and trust for, well, what seems to be his more experienced counterpart because even though Trump, in my opinion, hasn't screwed up everything and he's done some things which I believe are good, such as yelling at other uh, Western European nations of NATO 
because, you know, they don't take European security as seriously as we in the East do. Therefore, we have to be allies of Mr. Trump in this case, where he basically tells them to pony up their 2%. Because, well, my country does, Lithuania does, Estonia does, we all do. And what France and Germany won't, they don't care. And in this case, I have to agree with Mr. Trump. However, in his attempts and admirations of Mr. Putin, there, I couldn't stand any further from him because, well, it's kind of crazy. See, this is the machinery behind Putin that's really in control of all the situation because, well, Putin, real Putin, might as well be dead at this point. That's the episode that got me banned from Russia, after all. And there's interesting links and connotations about what Putin does and the machinery behind how he does it. As a former KGB officer and the head of FSB, which is currently Russia's National Security Agency, President Putin has professional roots in deception, disinformation and violence beyond what most people consider rational, and uh, a lot of people treat him as just run-of-the-mill politician, but that man is a professional liar and a professional at being a complete and total douchebag. His uh, 18-year-old record, well, now 19-year-old record in public life, provides a high-profile cases where he has been equally strong and powerful in undermining truth and targeting those who expose him. And here's a short list of Putin's most glaring lies, as well as his actions against those who challenged him. And some of these have been mentioned on the show before. But this is just to show why the people in Russia, most opposition people, are so concerned about showing that, oh my god, whatever will Putin do next, rather than, oh my god, we have this guy, and what if we have more terrorists? Because this guy, who did the shooting, like I mentioned before, he was a member of Putin's party, he was a member of, well, people who usually are super supportive of Putin. Then he had his own issues. Now, let's go through this list of what else Mr. Putin has told us that, uh, well, he had no relation to him, even though it has been proved otherwise. Number one, obviously. In 1999, bombs exploded a number of apartment buildings in Russia, killing, in total, 293 civilians. The bombings were attributed, then, to Chechen terrorism, driving up patriotic support for Russia's military in invading Chechnya. When one bomb was detected and defused in the city of Ryazan before it went off, new, at that time, Prime Minister Putin praised the people of Ryazan for their vigilance. His subsequent strong leadership during the Chechen war was key to his election as president in March 2000. However, as I mentioned in my previous episode about this subject, eyewitness accounts, forensics, and whistleblower revelations all indicated that Russia's security service, the FSB, were the ones responsible for the Ryazan bombings, the so-called Ryazan sugar case, a very famous one. The commission established to investigate the FSB's role in all the bombings discontinued this work in 2003 when two key members of this committee died violent deaths. Deputy Sergei Yushenkov was gunned down and investigative journalist Yuri Shilkoshilsen died in a hospital from, quote, an unknown allergen that shut down all his vital organs. FSB whistleblower Alexander Litvinenko, who directly accused Vladimir Putin of involvement in the apartment bombings, was poisoned in London in 2006. Yeah, fun. Number 2. In 2004, Chechen terrorists took hostage hundreds of schoolchildren and their teachers in the school in Beslan in North Ossetia. Russian authorities refused to negotiate and instead deployed military forces to storm the school. The result was that more than 330 people died and another 550 were wounded, among the dead were 184 kids. 
Putin was adamant that the use of force was justified and necessary in the face of terrorism and used Beslan to increase centralized Kremlin power. He rejected the European Court of Human Rights judgment that Russian authorities used excessive force against their own citizens. At that point in 2004, he also single-handedly cancelled all the elections of the state governors that had happened in Russia. Now, isn't that something? Journalist, human rights activist, and a critic of Putin, that should be known to people listening to this podcast, Anna Podilkovskaya, was poisoned when traveling to Beslan to cover the siege. She survived and continued to research and publish on Putin's assault on democracy until she was finally shot and killed outside her Moscow apartment in 2006. Further on, in 2005, the American-born British CEO of Moscow-based investment fund Hermitage Capital, Bill Browder, was denied re-entry to Russia and declared a threat to national security. Browder's tax attorney, Sergei Magnitsky, then uncovered a 230 million United States dollars tax fraud scheme against the Hermitage Capital. Magnitsky's work revealed high-level government collusion in the criminal looting of public assets. After taking the allegations public, Magnitsky was arrested in Moscow on fabricated charges and detained for 11 months prior to trial. He was repeatedly abused in jail, including denial of treatment for chronic health conditions. Eventually, he was beaten to death in jail. The Russian state's punishment did not stop then. Magnitsky was posthumously tried and convicted for tax evasion. Browder has subsequently pursued justice for Magnitsky, advocating for the worldwide adoption of the Magnitsky Act. The act was passed by the United States Congress in 2012 to sanction individual Russians involved in human rights abuses. Putin held a December 2012 press conference, like the one he held right now in 2019, following the Magnitsky's Act's passage and the Russian Duma's subsequent retaliatory ban on American adoptions of Russian orphans. Putin said, quote, Magnitsky was not tortured, he died of a heart attack, even though that was an obvious lie. Number four. On July 17, 2014, Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 was shot down over Ukraine, killing all of 298 people aboard. In May 2018, a United Nations-backed joint investigation team concluded that the Russian 53rd anti-aircraft missile brigade based in Kursk had fired the missile and brought down the plane. In direct contradiction of the forensic evidence, Putin flatly denied any Russian involvement in shooting down the MH17. That denial comports with Putin's long-time denial that Russian forces invaded Ukraine in 2014, one of the ten false Russian claims about Ukraine identified and debunked by the United States State Department. That report is no longer available on the United States government website, by the way. And finally, number five. In February 2015, Russian opposition leader Boris Nemtsov was assassinated in Moscow. Just before his death, Nemtsov had taped a television interview in which he discussed his investigations into Russian war crimes in Ukraine and called President Putin, quote, our expert in lying, he's a pathological liar, end quote. After Nemtsov's death, President Putin assured Nemtsov's mother, quote, we will do everything to ensure that the perpetrators of this violent, cynical crime and those who stand behind them are properly punished. Nemtsov's relatives and allies insist on Putin's complicity and have called the investigation and prosecution of five killers a cover-up. Video evidence and the journalistic investigation into the details of Nemtsov's murder, likewise, see the highly organized hit involving multiple gunmen and vehicles as the work of a professional intelligence organization like the FSB. And yeah, in general, if you look at this together, then the risks for individual Russians challenging Putin's lies are very clear. In total, Putin has been caught up and involved into 34 suspicious deaths since 2014 alone. 
And those killed have nonetheless left an evidentiary trail for a host of contemporary writers like Masha Gessen, David Statter, and Peter Pomerantsev. These writers and others, like myself, yeah, we try to work on how Putin has built enormous wealth and power by deploying violence and deception to control the political narrative. And, well, disable, or in some cases eliminate any meaningful opposition. That's the point here. When you hear something stated by Putin, first of all, you should presume that he is lying instead of telling the truth. And every time a terrible incident has occurred, Russia's rights have been taken down a notch. The rights of Russians have been eroded, sometimes blatantly. And there have been, like, many cases where everything has gone terribly, terribly wrong more than once, and where Putin and his government have just lied and threatened, and I can't even enter Russia myself, because I've been banned from there and everything. And this is serious, because the number one issue from all the thinking Russians on the YouTube is the fact that what's going to happen next. And we know for sure, because on the 23rd of December, there is already a planned blackout of the Russian internet, cutting it off for a while from the rest of the planet. That's in the works, too. So, all the situation is very important. Next episode, we're going to look at some Soviet conspiracies that also prove true. And the grand combination, of course, is going to be the mega episode that shall conclude the Stalin series. But for now, think about yourselves and always pick the interpretation that is most likely to be true instead of the interpretation of the events that has been told you by the people who've lied many, many, many times over and will continue to do so. Charity principle used in the rhetorics is flawed and useless in my opinion if you apply it to people who just lie constantly. Dasvidanyi, tavarish. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.